As you turn back to uh, Galatians 6, as you're getting over there, I was thinking, just kind of through this a little bit, and one of the the sad things that's happened in, in education, education uh, across the board is, is really uh, declined so much. You know, there's a, there's a huge thing right now. It's called grade inflation. Uh, so a lot of the grades that kids get are, are overinflated. There's a lot of, of schools that overinflate grades. And, you know, the, the, the bad thing about that is at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're really only cheating the kids, right? And the whole point of the school is to teach the kids. And so when you overinflate, you're, you're cheating them out of what they should be doing, which is learning. And so the grade is just a barometer to say, well, you're not quite there. You're, you're, you know, a C is the average, right? And, and you're below average. So telling somebody that they're above average when they're actually below average, and we're saying, look, you've got 13 years to kind of learn this prerequisite um, material. It's okay. Just this is where you're at. This is where you need to be. Well, so what do they do to fix that? Well, the answer to getting good grades nowadays is sit in the front row, don't talk, be nice to the teacher, and then when the time comes, you go to the teacher and you beg them to boost your grade. And so if you can bake them cookies, or if you can take out the trash, or if you can do a couple extra papers or quizzes, um, then that's going to boost your grade. And so by the end of the day, there's really no reason why everybody doesn't get an A because there's a, a lot of different ways to get an A in that class other than becoming an expert in that class. Well, the problem with that is and Galatians makes this concept very, very clear in Galatians 2.16 that we're, we're not justified by by these different works. Okay, well, we, we don't get a good grade from God because you, you go before the throne of God and go, you know, I know I'm failing. I know I'm failing in, in, in my, my Christian life, but what can I do to boost my, my grade? Well, what can, I, can I give a little bit more to the church? Uh, can I show up, you know, for 10 weeks in a row? Can I go, go you know, serve at a, uh, at a mission? Uh, is, is there is there something that I haven't done yet? Uh, let's see. I, I've, I've been circumcised. Uh, I was baptized. Uh, I tithe. Um, I, I have gone to the to the soup kitchen. Well, what else, God, can you do to help me boost my grade? Right? To help me, in essence, earn my salvation. And the whole point of Galatians is you don't earn anything. You don't earn anything. And, and there's none of this stuff that you think is good goes towards your earning of salvation. Um, yes, there is obedience. Yes, there are commands to obey. But that's not how you earn your way to salvation. So Galatians' goal then is to explain this, uh, this tension. The constant battle then for the Christian life is is, okay, I want to be a good Christian, so the overreaction to the law, right? Now I'm going to create all kinds of different rules, all kinds of different things, so that I can be a good, obedient Christian. Give me more, give me more, give me more. Um, or the other side, no, 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 no. Uh, Jesus paid it all. It's, it's, I'm saved by grace, through faith. It's a complete free gift. I don't have to do anything, so guess what? I'm going to do anything. And there's this whole leaning then towards the, the freedom and the liberty and the idea of, and I heard this all the time. What's the, I, I love talking with, with kids, especially high schoolers, because, you know, they'll be honest and, and that, that, that's fine. But you ask them some questions and you start talking about this stuff and, you know, somebody will say, what's the least I have to do to get in the kingdom of God? Right? I mean, they say it out loud. God love them. Um, or do I have to do this to get in the kingdom of God? Or can I commit this sin, murder, this and that, right? Because I, I, I've got examples in the Bible 
And so we'll have these conversations about essentially how much bad stuff, how much disobedient stuff, how much neglecting of Jesus can I do to get through the door? Just by the skim of my teeth. Um, well, in this letter, in Paul's writing, we, we see a very, very common pattern uh, that, that Paul uses. Well, he'll start the writing with, with the doctrine, you know, kind of the, more of the facts and, and the theology. And then at the end, we'll, we'll finish with some practical stuff. And so we definitely see this pattern in Galatians. We, we see the specific issue of, of circumcision and how it's challenging justification by faith alone, which is the, you know, the pillar of Christianity. And then now we're, we're ending with some practical examples. We saw this with the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. And now we're going to hone in on an even more of a, of a practical example. And so what we want to do is, is understand the, the, the truth of how then we're supposed to live. Because we're not supposed to be legalists and we're not supposed to just, you know, abuse uh, this love and this forgiveness that that God has given us by, you know, abusing our freedom. So, so how do we live? Uh, we know we're called to obedience. I hope we all understand, and it's very, very clear that we are called to obedience. Uh, the Bible, if anything, if if the critics have anything negative to say about the Bible, it almost always begins with all the rules that you have to obey. How come the critics understand that and yet the modern church doesn't get that? I mean, you can't read the Bible without understanding that there are things that we need to do. That's not what saves you. It's not what earns it, but we still need to do it. We see this in, in Deuteronomy 6 too, that, that you know, we're called to fear the Lord our God and to keep all his statutes, to keep all his commandments, to keep them all the days of our life. We see this as it goes through the first uh, King six eleven. You are to walk in my statutes and execute, execute my ordinances and keep, keep all my commandments and carry out my word. There, there's no mistaking that we are supposed to be doers of the word. We see this again in Matthew twenty eight twenty, the Great Commission. They're called to go and to teach the people, to teach them and to teach them to observe. So this isn't just a, a town hall lecture uh, that we hear good things and go, wow, that was, that was deep. You know, well done. Maybe we'll, you know, snap our fingers at the end of it and, you know, as kind of a, a, a clap. No, we're, we're, we come here to absorb God's word to see his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and then we're called to keep, to obey, to execute, to execute. So today we're going to look at, and we're going to see how, how to keep in step, how we keep in step with the Spirit in three practical ways. Because this is a spiritual endeavor, you guys. This is a spiritual endeavor. It's our spiritual walk. So we walk in three different ways, bearing burdens, sharing blessings, and wearing bruises. Bearing burdens, sharing blessings, and wearing bruises. Before we dive into Galatians 6, I, 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 I want to pause for a second here and again talk about this, this idea of the spiritual. There's a lot of confusion about the spiritual. And I think the reason why is because the reality is we have, we have the good spirit and we have the wicked spirit. And, and we have demons, right? Bad angels, demons, and we have good angels, um, you know, that are still obedient to God. We have the Holy Spirit that is active. And so wherever you stand today, the idea then of spiritual, some people just kind of almost blow it off as though it's non-existent. But, but we live by the Spirit. 
Our battle is not just flesh and blood. It is, we are in a, a spiritual battle. That's part of what makes this all hard is you think you're fighting what you can see in front of you. You're, there's a lot more going on. Uh, believe you me, go home and, and read Ephesians 6 tonight. Um, Galatians 5 makes this clear. Look, there's, there's things that we do in our flesh, in our humanity. We talked about this last week that we will do in our, our own sinful nature, if led to our own, we, we will continue to sin. So the requirement then is that we want to be obedient, but we need, we require the help of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus promises us in John 14, 16. And so when God says you are to execute, this isn't just a matter of, kind of the football, the X's and O's, you're supposed to go here and do this and do that. But imagine you're, you're supposed to go here, do this and do that, and I'm going to give you the Spirit to help you with that. That's ultimately then how we're going to accomplish this. We think we accomplish our life by the X's and the O's, all by ourselves. And that's the fallacy, and that's the human pride. And the reality is the way we accomplish the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control is by the power of the spirit of God that drives us. But then we get to this, okay, so here's this spiritual endeavor, and then people took it the wrong way and made it mystical, like it was like like it had nothing to do with your mind and your brain. This is one of the greatest deceptions that that Satan has been able to to win over is this idea of of meditation. Meditation is a deep thought, a, a deep concentration of something real, like God's word. You were supposed to meditate on God's word day and night. Have you done that? Have you ever really stopped and absorbed? a passage, stopped and absorbed a word and meditated on it, thought about that. If you have, you're doing it on something specific. What has Satan turned meditation into? The first thing you think about when you think of meditation today is yoga, Buddha, right? Their principle is clear your mind so you think of nothing. Think about that for a second. Nobody equates, few, few equate meditation with Christianity. But Christianity is actually the, the beginning of meditation, the right meditation. Now you have an antichrist, a false Christ, a false teaching in the Eastern religions that, that started taking hold and they turned it into this stretching, breathing, exercise, religious thing that we can call yoga, but it's infiltrated in a lot of ways and a lot of new age ways. It's much bigger than that. And so again, the idea that, that spiritual walking is a, is an emptying or clearing of your mind is just, it, it's false. And so Galatians five helps us to understand how does our spiritual walk as Christians work? Well, it walks as we stand firm. So we, we, in the spirit, we stand firm, Galatians 5.1. It's Christ who has set us free from the yoke of slavery. And now we're slaves to obedience in Christ. So we're standing firm in Christ. We don't just walk on our own. We're, we're in Christ. We, we walk in freedom. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 5, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so again, we see that this spiritual walk isn't just a mystical thing. It's an, it's an actual physical act of obedience and standing and, and walking. The idea of, of uh, in the Greek is parapeto, which is to keep in step. Keep in step. It's the idea of of soldiers marching. Have you ever seen soldiers march? It's a beautiful thing, actually. It's very regimented, very, you know, everybody is doing the same exact thing. You could have 500 guys marching and it all looks the same. They're in step. They're in line. That's what God is calling us to be 
when we're walking by the Spirit. Um, and so the spiritual person is not just superstitious or some kind of weird uh, eccentric. A spiritual person is not somebody who escapes. This was a, a, a huge thing in the medieval times. This was a huge thing by the old Catholic uh, priests. They would, they would escape. They would leave real life. The only way to be super spiritual and to not sin and to be really godly would be to go leave and go to the desert in Africa. And you find yourself this little cave or this little, you know, place with other monks and you isolate yourself. Some of them even went to the point where they wouldn't talk because that could produce sin. And some of them would go to the point where they would just sit in their little room. They would just pray all day and they'd get little whip straps and just beat themselves, bearing the, the, the payment and the penalty for sin on themselves. And so at what stroke... Do you stop? Do you deserve a hundred lashes for your sin? Two hundred lashes? Two hundred and one? Very, very um, wicked way. We see this with the Amish today. The Amish to escape the world, right? Escape the world. And, and, and we've seen now, we have kind of the track record is it, it doesn't work. You, you still don't escape sin. That's not the way, and that's really the way of kind of the, the mystical way of the Spirit, not actual living by the Spirit. And so our goal isn't to be mystical. Our goal is to be practical, and we're going to see that. And so we keep step with the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens. Uh, verse 1, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting regarding himself alone and not regard to one another. For each one shall bear his own loan. His own load. Now, Step back real quick. We're talking about being justified by faith. We're talking about this idea of legalism is not the way. And, and we're coming to the end of the chapter. And Paul's going to now use an example. This is his example. His example then is, okay, let's pause here for a second. Okay, let's say somebody's caught in a sin. Right? So th this is a real practical example for us to understand the tension between legalism and living by the Spirit. If, if somebody in here is, is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, so the act of obedience is being spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, now check this out, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. So, so an act of, of walking in the Spirit then as a practical example is going to be this bearing one another's burdens. And in doing this, you fulfill the law of Christ. So remember, the argument is against the law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, right? The Old Covenant law. And what we're trying to do is walk in obedience to Jesus Christ in the Spirit. And so now we kind of see a new package or a new term here that this is how we're going to um, walk in the Spirit. We're going to bear another's, one another's burdens. And this then is the fulfillment of what Jesus is trying to get through to us. This then is Jesus' law. His law is to bear one another's burdens. What a beautiful picture. And so, how do we do? How do, how do we, we, we accomplish this? Now, keep in mind, as we're doing this, as the quote-unquote spiritual one is helping the, the one that's struggling, be careful because this could turn real quick. Which, from a practical standpoint, I read this and it's like, oh yeah, I've, I've seen this plenty of times, right? And so... Depending on which side you think you're on right now, um, be humble. And keep in mind, you may be on the spiritual side of one relationship and, and on the need side of, of another. And on over here, it's completely the other way, right? Because guess what? You don't have one relationship. 
and you don't have just one problem. And so the concentric circles of all that's going on here, really, we should all be sitting here in one hand. I'm the spiritual one. On the other one, I'm the one that needs love and restoration. Right? So don't get cocky. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. What are we talking about here? So, if a man is caught in any trespass, I can't think of any more practical example than this because this includes every single one of us we're supposed to restore them well how so matthew 18 verse 15 and if your brother sins if your brother sins reprove him how in private if he listens to you you have won your brother what's the whole goal of this whole concept of catching somebody in sin Right? So when we catch somebody in sin, what we want to do is oppress them, judge them, punish them, guilt them, shame them. Right? Is that what you guys see here? No, not at all. We're, we're supposed to, you who are spiritual, restore them. In a spirit of gentleness, this goes back to our Fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit, right, is, is this gentleness. The practical example, then, of this gentleness is when somebody is caught in sin. Make no mistake, this is, this is sin, okay? This is real legitimate sin. And so when somebody's caught in sin, then our goal in gentleness, back to Matthew uh, 18, 15, to reprove so that you can win them over. That's our whole goal. Is it fun to confront somebody? No, it's hard. But one of the most loving things you can do is to confront somebody. Because I love you, I need to talk to you. Because I care about you, I need to inform you of something that you're in sin over. That is not an easy conversation. And so... We do that in a spirit of gentleness. But it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. And so in keeping in step with the spirit, we then are called to, to bear each other's burdens. Well, this, there's a key word here. To restore them. Restore such a one. I, I love the whole concept of redemption and restore. But in the Greek, uh, katartizo uh, says to to put back in good working order. So we're going to restore, right? We're going to put you back in good working order. In the Greek, it has the same idea as setting a broken leg. So you set that broken leg so it can be put back into good working order. It also is used a lot in mending nets. The... The patience, the intricacy of, of mending a net takes time and it's tedious. And so when we put these things together, we're, we're trying to put people back in good working order because they're broken, right? They're broken people, but it's like a mending of the nets. It's going to take time. It's going to be tedious. And you know what? You're going to need to be patient in the process. That's part of why it's gentle. And so this then is how we keep in step with the Spirit. This then is how we bear one another's burdens, by, by shouldering the burden, by placing the yoke on our shoulders. So, as brothers and sisters in Christ, who are we? We're the oxen. We're, we're the baggage handlers. We're, we're the guys that come up and, you know, when you, when you park your car on the side of the airport and you, and you start dumping out all your sin, right? All this baggage. And some of you guys have vans and trucks and, you know, three carts of, you know, Oak Harbor that come out, right? And what is our role? Our role is to come out and start picking up all that baggage. Start loading it up, right? Because you know what? I'm going to alleviate that burden from you by doing what? By serving you as a servant. This isn't what a king does. This is what a slave does. 
That, that's what we're called to do. That's how we walk by the Spirit. We don't walk by the Spirit in this high and mighty, holy way of I never sin, I never do anything, I'm perfect, who are you? I don't touch sin, I don't look at... No, you know what? We roll up our sleeves, we get down and dirty. The way we bear one another's burdens is we carry the baggage for you. It's a beautiful picture. And so the frustration then is, well, the nets get tangled, right? Have you ever seen a tangled net? It's a me- I mean, it's, you're sitting there and you think you got some, somewhere and you think, I, I think I just made it worse, right? It, it's a tangled mess that sin is. But we're called to do this in a gentle way. I, I, and I love the tie into to Galatians 5.14. So remember, this is our new law, right? Our, our, our new law is to walk by the Spirit, not by the law of Moses, but to walk by the Spirit in gentleness, to bear one another's burdens. How do we fulfill the law of Christ? Back to Galatians 5.14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. So we're called to walk by the Spirit by loving other people. By loving other people. And that means the emotional stuff. That means financial stuff. That means physical stuff. That means everyday life stuff. That means sin stuff. But there's some obstacles. There's some obstacles. Um, Verse 3. Pride. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, the problem with this whole system is pride. Somebody's caught in a trespass and then the other people around them are proud and arrogant and they think they're something and they've forgotten that there's times when they need restoration too. And so they become Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee. I'm so glad, Lord, that I'm not like this guy over here. Right? Pride. It's a major obstacle. Major obstacle. The other one is, uh, verse 4, it's a, it's a lack of focus. Look, let each one examine your own work. And then he will have no reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to one another. See, not only do we have the, the idea of, I'm glad I'm not like him, but we also start looking at other people's lives, other people's stuff. And, and sometimes we even look at it and we say, well, um, I, I know I'm not like him and I know I can always find somebody worse, but there's other people better. And then you start getting caught up in this whole pointing the finger and looking at somebody else. It's like, look, um, don't do that. You, you can always find a way to complain about this life. Because there will be a neighbor, friend, family member who's doing better than you, and they shouldn't, right? Because they're wicked and evil and sinful. Again, the Bible has been very, very clear about that. Don't be shocked and surprised. The wicked will prosper here on earth. It will be temporary. Um, but for some reason, we run into this obstacle. And we, we, we lack focus and just examine your own work. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Don't worry about what the other one's doing, good or bad. Either way, keep focus. Well, one of the other cool little notations here is uh, verse 2 and verse 5. In verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens, right? But then in verse 5, it says, for each one shall bear his own load. You think, wait a minute. Is that a contradiction there? I... I thought I was supposed to bear other people's burdens, and now I'm, I'm called to uh, bear my own load. The interesting thing here is when we break these words down to Greek, in verse 2, it has the context and the idea of you need to bear other people's heavy loads, right? Bear other people's heavy loads, but each one of you will have your own pack pack, backpack, right? So we're called to, look, you're going to have your own little backpack, okay? And you got to deal with that. But in the spiritual line of working, you have to be looking at what other people have and help them with their burdens. It's a very uh, beautiful description here that, that, that we see. And so 
We keep in step with the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens, by carrying their overweighted baggage. Well, the second point we see here is we keep in step with the Spirit by sharing blessings, by sharing blessings. And when we read this, we really need to read this in, in, in one whole kind of chunk to understand what's being said. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap also. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit shall from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are the household of faith. What we see here is this picture of the sowing and reaping, right? And this, this sharing then of what we've reaped. Remember sowing and reaping, these are, these are farming terms. Okay, you sow, that's the planting. Okay, so what you've sown, you then, if you sow three seeds, you're not going to have a very big harvest, right? If you sow 30 acres of seeds, then you're going to reap a good harvest. It's, it's a, a bountiful, plentiful uh, reward, right? So what we see here is this idea of God prospers. If God allows you to prosper, then, then you need to share the blessing with others. And in the context of this passage, we're still talking about bearing others' burdens, okay? So from a sowing and reaping standpoint, you, you have either cash or you have even your crop. So now we're being called, look, to keep in step by the Spirit, not only do you, do you kind of bear burdens, and these can be emotional, these can be kind of just words, but, but there's also physical blessings that may need to be shared as well. And so the, the first example here is, and let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So you have the picture here of the, like the congregation sharing uh, their, their wealth with him who teaches. This is where the pastor gets, gets paid, essentially. Okay? And so it's a sharing of, of, of that wealth. And we saw this in the Levitical priesthood. Remember in the Levitical priesthood, all they did was keep to the, to the temple practices. And so because they're doing that, they're not going out and hunting. They're not going out and, and farming. And so they're going to need uh, shared help from, from the community. So part of the bearing of one another's burdens then is going to be the, the sharing of, of um, your bounty with those who teach. Well... Above and beyond that, we also see things like, well, widow, orphan, poor. And, and the Bible is, is very, very clear about this, this concept that the rich, the prosperous, are prosperous because God has allowed them to be prosperous. We really, really see this in, in farming because I don't care how hard you work, if the sun doesn't come out just the right amount of time, which last time I checked, God controls the sun. If it doesn't come out enough, then photosynthesis doesn't take place and you don't have a good harvest. If it comes out too much, then it burns everything and you have a drought. On the other side, if it rains too much, you have a flood. If it doesn't rain enough, you have a drought, right? And so you realize, wait a second. I don't care how good Farmer John is. I don't care how good... John Deere is on, on, on his machine. Guess who he has to rely on 100%? God. God is the one who controls the sun and the rain and at any time can change that. And that was the, the idea here behind the, let's get back to the sowing and the reaping, okay? And so in this sowing and reaping and in this bearing of, of each other's burdens, we're going to now be sharing with other people. And so our mindset, Matthew 6, 19 through 20, is we're not going to store up treasures on earth. We're thinking about heaven, verse 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the one who's working for the physical aspect of the cash, well, he'll get his due in cash. 
But the one who is sowing to the Spirit, the one who lives by the Spirit, how does he live by the Spirit? By bearing one another's burdens and by sharing the blessings. This one from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Did you guys catch that? If you want to sow by the world's ways, if if you want to sow just for the crop, just for the cash, then guess what? You will have your reward here on earth. Have your fun 70 years. I'm going to take my 70 trillion billion years, right, in eternal life. Why? Because I'm going to sow in the spirit. And the sowing in the spirit then says this is what we do. We bear burdens. We share blessings. Deuteronomy 15, Jeremiah 29, 7, whatever your political view, um, I don't care. God invented welfare. Get that through your guys' minds. It was God who was the one who started the process of those with giving to those who do not have. It's the whole concept of gleaning. Right In Leviticus 19, you had a farmer, you had a landowner, he had land, he had crops, and you know what he did? He shared the corners with those in need. From the very beginning, we've always shared. Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't a social justice warrior pitch, okay? Um, there's a way to do that and a way not to do that. We don't forcibly do it by the gun or you know, by laws, but we as believers... Walking in the spirit, not because the law tells us that we have to give X amount of our taxes to the community, but because as Christians, we look around and we recognize the needs of our brothers, especially, right? Verse 10, especially those who are of the household of faith, but others as well, because we see this, because we are spiritual, we bear burdens and we share blessings. See how that works? And you know what? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose verse 9. Don't lose heart in doing good. This is a fantastic verse to memorize. I I think about this verse all the time. Because you know what? You're going to look around, whether you like it or not. You're going to not examine yourself. You're going to lose focus. You're going to start looking at other people. And then you know what? You're going to start to lose heart. Because you're going to see stuff that doesn't line up, stuff you don't like. And you're going to lose heart in doing good. And you're going to think, why am I doing this good? And I've done enough. And don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. In due time, you will reap what you are sowing. You see how that comes back around to this illustration? In due time, these good things that you're doing for one another, you're going to reap. There's a harvest coming. Remember Hebrews 13.2. There are times when in our service, we're not just ministering to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just like the good Samaritan, you know, ministering to our neighbor. We're actually entertaining angels. Sometimes we're entertaining angels. And then Jesus reminds us in Matthew 25, 35, that which you've done for the least you have done for me. So, so what drives this spiritual walk, again, isn't, isn't how much you get praised. It isn't about rewards. It's about doing it for God. It's about doing it for the glory of God. And that takes us right into the third step, which is keeping in step with the Spirit by wearing bruises. This is where the glory comes, guys. You ready? See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear my body, the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. And so Paul finishes this letter that began with this debate on circumcision, and he closes it with, listen, circumcision is nothing, and non-circumcision is nothing. So what's the point? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is what it's all about. The cross is everything. And so as we look to keeping in step with the Spirit, we then have to change our focus which then is going to be again this emblem of suffering and shame this emblem of wearing of wearing bruises so it begins with verse 11 see with what large letters i'm writing to you with my own hand remember uh, the holy spirit is speaking to paul and paul then is also reciting oftentimes in prisons to a scribe and so paul is reciting and He's got his scribe and his scribe. And then he goes, okay, it's finished. And then Paul signs it off, right? He signs his final, his final name on it, just proving and authenticating this document. Well, at this point of the letter, Paul takes it and says, okay, I'm writing this myself now. In large letters, um, some of you who are familiar with emailing or familiar maybe in the corporate world of kind of inner office mail. When you get an email and it's all caps, what does that mean? It means somebody's yelling at you. Somebody's getting your attention, right? It's, it's bold. I had to learn that the hard way. I always used to like doing it all caps because I didn't have to worry about doing caps and doing punctuation. I could just do it in all caps, you know? Um, but then people were like, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? Why are you yelling at me? Well, see here, Paul's trying to make a point and and, and the emphasis. And so for us, it's, hey, listen up. Pay attention. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing the point here. I'm finishing the letter. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh... There, there are people who are trying to make a good external showing in the flesh. Those are the ones who are trying to compel you to this circumcision deal. What's he talking about? Well, we get some context in, in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, there's, there's a group of people. And they look really, really good on the outside. But this is what Jesus thinks of them. Woe to you! Hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go. Woe to you, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, hypocrites, because you travel about the sea and the land, to make one a proselyte, and then when he becomes one, you make him twice as much as the son of hell as you are. Woe to you, you blind guides, who say whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. I love the blind guides. The idea of blind guides. You're the guide and you're blind. I don't want a blind guide when I'm climbing up the, the hill, right? Woe to you, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside, they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish also, so that the outside of it may be come clean also. And who is he talking to? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Jesus is confronting the religious men of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's saying, woe to you. You know why? Because you're so concerned with a good showing. You're so concerned with the outside. It's a problem that existed with Jesus. It's a problem that continued when Jesus is gone. And it's being infiltrated in the church. 
And now Paul is addressing and directing this, this issue. The, the specific issue is circumcision. But the bigger issue is this pretense, this hypocrisy of good showing. And what does he say? Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted. They're doing this so that they won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Well, guess what? If you follow Jesus, if you follow his ways, if you are exclusive to other religions, then you too will suffer persecution. If you want to avoid it, if you want to have a good showing, you can. There's definitely that path. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised. Okay, so they had these guys and what made them religious? Well, you know what? I was born Jewish, so I still have an inside track on this Christianity thing. Uh, and I'm circumcised and that makes me good. They don't even keep the law. But they think because they've done these five things, and we all have them. We all have in our minds these five things that we think, well, I never did this, this, and this, so I'm good. I'm not going to examine myself. No, I'm going to look at you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Right? <laughs> Case closed. I'm done. Let's go walk by the flesh. It's the opposite of how we walk by the flesh. We walk by the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens by sharing what we've sown, and then by wearing bruises. We, we, we walk by the Spirit, by, by embracing the, the, the life of, of the cross. Verse 14, but may it never be that I should boast. Here's Paul, the Christian Hall of Fame, right? Say, look, I, I hope I never am arrogant or boast, except for one thing. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in one thing, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to take the attention off of himself. And he's like, here's my brag. You know what Jesus did? You, you know why I'm going to go to heaven? Because of what Jesus did? You, you know why the, this vile, wretched sinner that you, that, you know, is transforming and changing and growing and can be a decent husband and, 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 and spouse? It's because of the cross. It, it's, do you know why I can bear your burdens? Do you know why I can do it in gentleness and sympathy? Because I read the scriptures that tells me what to do. I, I submit to it because of the cross. Do, do you know why when I, when I reap, why I share and, and, and I give to other people? Because Jesus did that for me. It, it, but it keeps going back to the cross. It, all attention is off the individual. This is our example. There's no glory. The cross is the most unglorious event that ever happened. The whole point of the cross was, was to show the people in the community, when you disobey Rome, this is what we're going to do to you. We will publicly humiliate you in front of everybody. That's the point of the cross. It's humiliation. It's shame. There's no dignity in it. It's, it's a, it was a horrible punishment. And that's what Jesus did for us. And this is what Paul says. Look, except for the cross, that, that's the only thing I will boast in. So circumcision, verse 15, doesn't mean anything. Neither does uncircumcision mean anything. Don't brag that you're not circumcised, right? But a new creation. He start, now he points back to the new covenant. It's another pointing back to the cross. Verse 16, and those who will walk by this rule. What rule? The new creation rule. What rule? This new law of Christ. This walking by the Spirit. That's the new rule. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. If Paul's going to boast in anything, what he's going to boast in with his emblem, his emblem of suffering and shame is going to be, this is how I suffer for Christ. This is how I take up my daily cross. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen. Paul's sufferings. Here's his emblem. Imprisonments. Beaten without number. They stopped counting. They beat him so much until the point of death. Five times he was beaten, what's called the, the Jews' lashes. They, they, you know, they're really nice, so they figured out a way to, to calculate 
how many lashes they could give you without killing you. Think about that for a second. How many people did they kill to figure this out? So they figured it out. We can do 39 times. And remember, one lash was five different strands with you know, knots and, and, and sharp, jagged edges. Think of it like barbed wire. And so every lash was like 20 lashes. Five times. I want you to absorb this, you guys. This is, this is the Hall of Fame Paul. If you want to walk by the Spirit, if you want to be a great Christian, expect this on your resume. Imprisonments, beaten without number to the, to the danger of death, five times, 39 lashes, three times with rods, one time stoned, three times shipwrecked, driven to the point of hunger, thirst, Cold, exposure, dangerous journeys, robbers on the roadside, and false brethren. If you're going to keep in step by the Spirit, have an expectation you're going to wear some bruises. You're going to wear some bruises, but it's okay. It boils down to this. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. And so the sign, Paul closes with this, the sign of the ownership, the sign of the identification as a Christian is not circumcision, it's the cross. And so you should actually consider a great privilege the more you suffer because of Christ. You should consider a great privilege the more baggage you can carry because you're walking by the Spirit. You should consider a great privilege the more you can share in what you have reaped. So how do I live better by the Spirit? Not by dropping out of the world, but by walking in step, by bearing one another's burdens, sharing blessings and wearing bruises. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the example that you gave. You are not telling us to do anything that you have not done yourself. The people that you use to write the scriptures to us have suffered and sacrificed uh, to blaze a trail for us, to set an example for us. And Lord, we know, we know that if we follow this pattern, then we will, we will reap by the Spirit what we have sown and we will reap eternal life. And so Lord, help us to examine ourselves and stay focused. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.